Hey, Washington, D.C., Austin, Los Angeles, Chicago. We're doing an online show on September 18th, which means you can come because it's on the Internet. Tickets available at bedpostconfessions.com. I confess, one of my favorite things about living alone is listening and watching to whatever type of porn I want, nice and loud. (laughs) I confess, every time I come to Bedpost Confessions, I am reminded of just how many flavors of hot congregate here. Sexy is thick on the ground tonight. Indeed it is. Welcome to Bedpost Confessions. Sex. Almost everybody does it and almost nobody talks about it except at Bedpost Confessions, a storytelling show based in Austin, Texas. Whether the stories are funny, informative, political, or completely personal, The anonymous confessions from the audience are the stars of every show. Welcome to the Bedpost Confessions podcast. I'm Bedpost producer Sadie Smythe. This week we have dancer turned writer Carrie Burke with her story, What is Love? Baby Don't Hurt Me, about complicated emotional entanglements. Her story was first told in the personal narrative and then in Carrie's main love language, dance. Her performance truly exemplified the show's theme, Phoenix Rising, as it was Carrie's first aerial silk dance performance in two years since an injury. It was also her first time on the bedpost stage. The written part of Carrie's story is what we are sharing with you on the podcast. You can find glimpses of Carrie's dance work on both at Bedpost Confessions and at Carrie.Burke on Instagram. Links in our show notes. And just a quick reminder, all Bedpost storytelling productions are made accessible to deaf audience members by the fantastic interpreters from Soul Illumination. Though the interpreters are there to serve the deaf, they enthrall the entire crowd with their beautiful expressions of American Sign Language. If you hear a roar of laughter and don't understand why, the interpreter may have stolen the show for a minute. And now, Carrie Burke. I grew up in a cult. Yeah. Uh, It was an off-brand cult, really, Uh, but I'll get to that. It's called The Way International. Feel free to look them up on Wikipedia for some light reading after the show. Um, But for now, TLDR, all standard culty things can be found in The Way International. Obsessive, (laughs) sure, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Obsessive and exclusive community, power, embezzlement, and sex scandals. They branded themselves as a college or educational institution and had a full campus in New Knoxville, Ohio. Think wild, wild country, but without the matching outfits. No. (laughs) Maybe? Matching outfits are nice. Uh, My parents met and married there in a group wedding, by the way. Uh, And 30 years later, they still talk about it with that dreamy, nostalgic glow in their eyes as the best years of their lives. They lived the magic of love and community, and in many ways, the way really was ahead of their time. 
I grew up with all the healthy lifestyle things that are mainstream now, especially in Austin. We were gluten-free and ate allergen-free diets. We used all organic and homemade products. We had extensive knowledge of supplements and essential oils. But when I was a baby, the power and corruption inevitably broke the institution and it started to fall apart. My parents and hundreds of other people were fired, kicked out, and forever shunned, what the way liked to call mark and avoid. They lost their closest friends and chosen family with no reason or warning. The exiled families took their stolen literature and proceeded to start underground splinter groups of the off-brand way, hiding from the way police. Yeah, that's a thing. Being so removed from society fucked me up in a lot of ways, especially when it came to emotional awareness. I experienced top-notch emotional manipulation from some of the very best sociopaths around. I mean, nothing but the best for me. <sighs> Combine that with the thick cloud of my parents' broken spirits and bitterness from being kicked out of the way, my reality and perspective of the world were incredibly warped. One of my first memories of feeling anything was when I was five years old, throwing a temper tantrum at the kitchen table because I didn't want to eat my veggies. My dad, instead of calmly coaxing me, reached for his camera. He took pictures of my angry, tear-soaked face, and the longer he clicked, the deeper my rage and helplessness grew. Later, after he'd gotten the pictures developed, because you know that shit takes like a week, right? <laughs> He sat me down to look at every picture and said, see how ridiculous you look when you're upset? I learned emotions were a weakness to be exploited, and that was the last time someone saw me cry for a very long time. But here's the thing you wouldn't expect about growing up in a cult. Sure, my, emotionally, my life was fucked, but artistically, my life was amazing. And that's because the way prized high art. My parents toured the country with The Way Productions, creating Broadway-level performances with some of the best dancers and musicians in the world. That's my mom. She was a classically trained ballet dancer, and here she's playing a temptress possessed by a devil spirit in a show called Athletes of the Spirit. <laughs> it was meant to teach non-believers about the dangers of spiritual warfare. She even had a pyrotechnic ring that shot a fiery dart at her victim. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of weird. Cool production level. Because of this, my sexuality was immensely warped, too. Women were expected to be stunning and sexual goddesses in the name of art, but only to warn as the power of the powers of devil spirits. I learned sexual power with deep self-hatred and resentment. I was groomed to be a fantasy and then shamed for being alluring. If I let myself shine and people were attracted to me, it was because I was possessed. I began to mistrust affection because surely people were only infatuated with my prowess. So, much like my emotions, I repressed my sexuality with no safe or healthy outlet. My parents didn't know how to love me because they had never really been shown healthy love either, but they did support me by providing me with the best arts training possible. For almost 10 years, my mom drove me an hour away to train six days a week with a pre-professional ballet company, which, by the way, is just another cult in its own right, but we don't have time for that story. Like, I'm a fucking pro at this point. <laughs> I booked my first professional dance job a week after my 16th birthday. 
I moved to Dayton, Ohio for a few months to rehearse the show, and I got my first taste of the outside world, free of the off-brand cult. I was one of six main dancers, and we performed for a live audience of 30,000 people in a huge outdoor stadium. It's the first time I remember experiencing true joy. The moment I stepped on stage, this gorgeous laughter just erupted from my belly. I couldn't hold it in. I felt the electricity of being alive for the first time as I leapt and spun and felt larger than life. I was free. When I danced on the stage, I could open my heart as wide as it needed, and I was safe there because no one could reach me. I could feel or be anything I wanted, and no one would use it against me. But my success came with a high cost. When I was 17, I competed in my hometown's very coveted St. Mary's Summerfest pageant. The night before, (laughs) I got super wasted for the first time. Like, face down in the gravel at the drive-in wasted. Like, classy. Yeah, it was bad. It was real bad. (laughs) Instead of trying to lie to my parents and stay the night elsewhere, I just had my friends take me home. I did the walk of shame past my mom as I drunkenly slurred what had happened and did my best to sleep it off. The next day, everyone was talking about how Carrie, the good little Christian girl, had been a hot drunk mess the night before. To add insult to injury, my randomly selected onstage question was this. Why do you think underage drinking is such an issue in small towns? (laughs) Fuck you. Even hungover as fuck, I pulled it together and I was crowned the Summerfest queen. (laughs) It's all on the elbow. Despite the win, my reputation was shattered. The gossip turned into rumors that I had been arrested. The Summerfest committee threatened to take away my crown and my winnings. When school started months later, I was called into the principal's office to report on the rumors. And I answered honestly. I got drunk, got a ride home, told my parents. I was suspended for underage drinking. The entire town, which, by the way, was notorious for encouraging the football team to dope, publicly shamed me for my mistake. I learned that honesty and mistakes were just another weakness to be exploited. I had been made a pariah. So I got the fuck out. After college, I got married and I moved to Austin after just visiting here for a weekend. Right, yeah, it's a good place. Austin felt different, like a safe place for me to spread my wings. And even though I was new to town, my dance career continued to soar. I danced with Kanye West and Rick Ross. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I joined Blue Lapis Light, and I danced as an aerialist hundreds of feet in the air on the sides of buildings. That's me on the top left. Just hanging. I became a teacher and a mentor. I cultivated a beautiful community of dancers and athletes. I shared my love of movement free of the guilt and shame I'd been subjected to. But I couldn't escape the self-hatred and rage I'd been rehearsing my entire life. And the facades I'd created to protect myself began to crumble. I had no idea who I was. I was such a skilled performer that I could morph into the best character for any situation. Everybody loved me, and I was horribly alone. 2015 is what I like to call the beginning of the end of the beginning. I got divorced, 
lived out of my car, and couch surfed for six months. But even though my life was uprooted once again, I actually found grounding. Dance was all that I had left of my identity, and maybe because of that, I began to dance just for me. Not because it was my job or because I had something to prove, but because I wanted to. I began to define what being an artist meant for me, and in this time period, y'all, my art was divine. Whatever the medium, ballet, modern, hip-hop, aerial silks, pole dancing, I did it all and I owned it. I gave dance my everything. I also began to erase the notion that sexuality was from the devil, and I brought my play from the stage into my sex life. I got really good at twerking. I gave lap dances to my lovers, and I had my first threesome, which started here, actually. Thank you, Bedpost. I was an artist on my own terms. I felt good, free, like a phoenix rising from the flame. And then my body broke. I had chronic back pain for almost 15 years, and my body finally gave up when I tore cartilage in my hip. I'd seen many doctors over the course of a decade, and none of them could properly diagnose my injury. They all told me, well, if you can dance through the pain, you'll be fine. And I did, until I wasn't. It was like a switch flipped. I went from being an elite athlete to not being able to stand long enough to cook myself a meal. I received over 100 excruciating platelet injections while I simultaneously had to relearn the basics, how to sit, how to stand, and how to walk. I'd finally found the right doctor, but physical therapy was unbearable. I had pain so intense I still felt it in my sleep. I could barely walk down the hall to the bathroom, and I was convinced I'd never dance again. The pain began to warp my thoughts. Imagine the most awful sound you've ever heard being played at full volume in your head at all hours of the day and night. I couldn't drown it out long enough to perform basic tasks. I hit rock bottom one night, driving home in the rain. I had been suicidal for a while, but this was the night it became really tangible. As I was driving, I considered how easy it would be to move my hand on the steering wheel just two inches to the right and plunge off a bridge. The struggle of my entire existence could be over in just two inches. As soon as I completed that thought, though, a song came on the radio and repeated over and over again, don't stop dancing, girl. I was fucking pissed. How could I stop doing what I already couldn't do anyway? I just want a respite, and God or the universe, or whatever the fuck is out there that I didn't even believe in anymore, told me no, and my entire existence hinged on a fucking pop song. I pulled over and I sobbed. I finally cried the pain that had been accumulating for almost 30 years. In that moment, I realized the force at which I wanted to die was equal to how much I wanted to live. Fucking fine, I thought. I'll keep going or whatever. <laughs> Enter Dr. M, the therapist I'd seen during my divorce. It had been some time since my last appointment, but I got right to the point. I'm suicidal. I'm scaring myself. She told me that I didn't have to be alone anymore. I had never cried in our sessions, but I immediately burst into tears, and she cried with me. We hugged. 
As I moved back to the couch, I dropped my head low, avoiding her gaze, knowing I was starting to rebuild a wall that was temporarily dropped by vulnerability. Dr. M bent down, positioned her face underneath mine to look up at me, forcing me to look at her, to be seen, to be loved and to stay open. It was as if she said, you don't have to dance for me. I see you. In high school, a close friend of mine died in a car accident. When I heard the news, I didn't cry. But that night in ballet class, my dancing was extraordinary. You're moving so beautifully, everyone said. It's because I let myself feel, I thought. I didn't realize until much later how dancing had been my only connection to my soul and my spirit. It made sense that I wanted to die when I couldn't dance. As I worked through therapy and my emotional wounds healed, my physical pain lessened. Dr. M exemplified healthy love, and after a lifetime of unhealthy people, I finally began to soften and trust. She modeled every relationship I never got to learn from. In that room, she was my therapist, my mother, my sister, my mentor my spiritual guru, my friend. She slowly filled up every part of me and taught me how to do it for myself. I finally felt safe to be seen up close. Dr. M once told me that many people break from such chronic onslaught of trauma, and hearing that gave me so much comfort. With this knowledge for the first time, I saw my own strength. I knew I might be okay someday. Some people's wounds run so deep, they can't help but want to destroy beauty because for them, beauty is a cruel reminder of what they so desperately crave and believe they'll never have. But I'm ending the cycle. I finally started to heal my own wounds from a lifetime of battles with broken people who convinced me to dampen my brilliance because they couldn't face their own pain or shortcomings. It's a beautiful thing to have been dragged through the depths of hell and back. To know pain is to see your own truth. To understand pain is to see the humanity and struggle in others and still soften around their thorns. To look death in the eyes when it whispers sweet nothings and still choose life is power much greater than anything on this earth. It is to choose to see life from every angle in all its brilliance and struggle and still be able to love the most horrendous humans without wearing their suffering. So I will continue to peel my heart open and be seen, I'll, to reveal and love the beautiful scars that have made me a goddess. I'll weather the public scorn if it means people might watch, learn, and soften, and I won't stop dancing. confess that during a gyno visit when I was 10 years old, the female doctor um, who was counseling me laughed that I kept raising my hips to meet her fingers inspecting me. <laughs> my mom laughed with her. <laughs> Truly intimate moments. That's just 
darling. I love that there's no shame in that. No. I confess. I realized I was interested in girls when I was eight years old. I realized I was interested in boys when I was 14 years old. I'm a girl. Both have made my life, but since I'm married to a man, I make him dress in my clothes and be a girl for me. You know, for the sensation. (laughs) I confess that I recently got a penis plug, and I like it. Is that what they're calling them these days? That's what they're calling it. The plug for the penis. Dig it. Carrie Burke has danced pre-professional ballet where she performed classics like Swan Lake and The Nutcracker. Carrie currently performs with Blue Lapis Light and has worked as a freelance performer and choreographer, including with Rick Ross at the MTV Woody Awards, Kanye West at South by Southwest, and Weird Al at the Moody Theater. Find her on Instagram. Links in the show notes. Bedpost Confessions is recorded in front of a live audience at the North Door in Austin, Texas. Want to support the show? Visit bedpostconfessions.com and buy yourself a little gift. We have I Confess t-shirts, totes, and journals. Bedpost Confessions is produced by myself, Sadie Smythe, and Miranda Wiley. Our podcast production team is Mariah Gossett, Mike Garcia, and Permanent Record Studios. And just a few requests before we go. Please share the show with a friend or love that might enjoy our content. And also leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. Until next time, keep confessing.